This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show is an intimate recording at the Prime Value Boardroom in the heart of the CBD of Melbourne. Today's big question, why be generous? We're asking this question today to Dr. Gary Hogue. Gary is based in Colorado in the United States and presently he provides oversight or spiritual and strategic counsel for churches and non-profits. He's in Australia at the invitation of CMA and Christian Super and he's worked in a variety of roles in academic institutions around the world. He's written or contributed to 10 books and he's known as the Generosity Monk and writes daily meditations at generositymonk.com and he joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Gary Hogue. Well, Gary, welcome to Bigger Questions. Now, you're known as the generosity monk. So does that mean that you usually wear long brown robes, chant Gregorian music and eat moldy bread? I love that. I've I've heard this many times. Now, the generosity monk is really a calling to dedicate my life to encouraging Christian generosity. So the monk part is about a commitment to serve others and help them grow in this area. Just not about dress sense or anything. That's right. Or haircuts. It's more the internal, not the external. (laughs) Okay, right. Yeah, well, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today we're talking with Dr. Gary Hogue about generosity. So in today's smaller questions, Gary, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about generous people. Wow. Now, do you feel qualified? Uh, I'll uh, give it my best shot. You do, okay. You'll see how we go. And I'll try to be generous to you to help you pass. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, Microsoft founder Bill Gates is known as one of the world's most generous people. The foundation he established with his wife, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, is the largest charitable foundation in the world. Now, according to Forbes magazine, by the end of 2017, how much money had the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation distributed since its inception? Was it A, $3.4 million, the foundation had a lot of overhead costs and very little money was actually shared with those who had it were in need? Was it B, was it a billion dollars, an amount similar to the funds under management at prime value investment funds? Was it C, $12.9 billion, equivalent to the GDP of Burkina Faso? Or was it D, $46 billion, approximately equivalent to the GDP of Tanzania? So which of those, how much has the Bill and Melinda Gates at the end of 2017 distributed since inception? Well, I, I think I'll go with uh, D. And that's a good one to go with because that's the right answer. Right. <laughs> fist, fist pump, which is a bit hard to see on radio, but anyway. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has an endowment of over $50 billion and supports global health, international development and US education. Now, does it stagger you that a charitable foundation has as much money in endowments as the GDP of an African nation of nearly 60 million people? Well, it doesn't surprise me at all because often as we set up organizations and businesses to contribute to the flourishing of others, we often grow and build great wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 reminds us God gives us the ability to produce wealth, and, and the Gates family has done a good job at that. They've done, yes, and they are now distributing a lot of it. A lot. Well. Yeah. Okay, question two. You're on your way here, Gary. Portuguese soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo is known for his generosity in giving large donations and gifts to a variety of charities. Now, what did he give to his agent, Jorge Mendes, for a wedding present? Was it A, a life-size signed portrait of himself scoring a goal for Portugal in the World Cup? Was it B, a McLaren motor car worth over a million dollars? Was it C, a Greek island worth $45 million? 
Or was it D, the European golden boot he won for scoring 40 goals for Real Madrid in one season? Well, this is where I'll admit I know absolutely nothing about uh, this sport. (laughs) And so I think it would – any of those gifts would be pretty awesome. But you tell me. What's the answer to this (laughs) one question? (laughs) I'm asking you the questions. (laughs) You need to – I'm thinking he gave him the island. you You think that's what he did? Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's the right answer. <laughs> it is. It's the Greek island. Yeah. Cristiano decided against purchasing traditional wedding presents such as crystal dinner sets or bedding and surprised his long-term agent with the generous gift of an entire Greek island. It just like sounds like someone who had a lot of wealth <laughs> because no one else would do that and so he's one up well, on you, everybody. You can, actually. According to, you can buy your own Greek island according to privateislandsonline.com. You can get secure your, your own Greek island for as little as $3.2 million. Be sure to put the web address for people. Okay, sure. Okay. Well, Gary, we don't need to be generous with our score for you today because you passed. you got two of us, two smaller questions, right? Big round of applause. <laughs> so, Gary, we hear stories of rich people like Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett, and even Cristiano Ronaldo giving away massive amounts of money to charity or lavish gifts to friends. They're described as very generous people. Now, today we're thinking about why we should be generous, but let's step back. So what, what exactly is generosity? Great question. I'll answer it from the perspective of a biblical scholar. Sure. So in the context of Scripture, there's a word, agathosune, which is generosity. It actually appears a couple times. But the most famous verse is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. So my answer to the question, what is generosity, is it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of God's work in a person's life. So obviously the story of Jesus is influential for you, but why should we listen to the Bible as a source of financial advice? Well, I've, I've found it in my own life to be tested and tried and found to be true. Yeah. I was raised in a, in a home where we saw God's Word as the owner's manual for life. So you grew up in a, a Christian environment. I did. Yeah. And in that environment, generosity was a way of life. My great-grandfather had a saying which passed through the family. Our wealth is like a cup. God filled it so we can have something to pour out. And if we pour it out, he can fill it again. And so numerous times through my family history, there were times of great need either in the community or within the local church. They poured out enormous sums of money and God provided yet again and again. Mm. So is that what convinced you that the Christian message was worth following? Absolutely. When I was growing up, I received this faith from my parents, but I wanted to test it. I tested it all the way to getting a, a British PhD in New Testament and wanted to look at, at is, this, is this true? Is this, if I put this into practice, does it give me a sense of meaning and purpose? And I found that to be the case. So then what, what, what does it mean then to be generous? So to be generous is to see yourself, I like to use these words, conduit rather than container. It's to see yourself as a conduit of blessing so that as you receive from God material and spiritual blessings, they can flow to others. Oftentimes people see wealth or see um, see themselves as a container, which is their aim is just to receive. If we were to use uh, the word picture of like the Red Sea or the Dead Sea, if it just all goes in and nothing goes out, it's going to be dead. But when it comes in and goes out, it becomes life-giving. It's for us and for others. Mm. So is that why you think that generosity is then seen as uh, a positive? People enjoy generous people? I mean, I'm sure that Cristiano is Ronaldo's agent 
enjoyed his Greek island. So is that why we like generosity when we see it? Well, I, I, I like to think of it this way. Generosity is, is our posture of first receiving and then realizing what we received for. It's for us to enjoy and for others to enjoy with us. And so the idea of giving someone a, a Greek island or giving an extravagant gift to my wife for our anniversary is something that's a beautiful way of showing love. Yeah, you've never given her a Greek island? No, no Greek island, but I will take her to some bungalows in the Philippines the next trip she goes with me. Okay, that's sounds... Well, I suppose it's on an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're the generosity monk then. So is this your the, this biblical understanding of generosity and, and that's what drives your passion? Yeah, so about 10 years ago, when I followed God's leading to go from just serving one organization to serving many, I took a quiet day and I said, God, what do you need me to do? And what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? It was a transitional time. Perhaps listeners are, are going through transitional times in life. What do you want me to do? And I really felt like God said, Gary, I don't need you to do anything. I have the whole universe sorted. Made the sunrise this morning, took care of the sunset yesterday. <laughs> and so I, I turned my attention to, okay, what do you want me to be? And just like in the biblical narrative, Sarah laughed when God said, I want you to be a mommy. I felt like he said, I want you to be the generosity monk. I want you to dedicate your life to encouraging Christian generosity. And knowing that the monastic tradition, they had a daily office. I said, what's my daily office going to be, Lord? And I felt like he said, study what the saints through the centuries said about generosity, influential people. And what I found was that people who practice generosity change their world in their day, and they can do it in their world today. Mm -hmm. so, so what has that meant for you then? Well, what it's meant for me is it's been life-giving to me and to others. Right, yeah. But so you say that the Bible has something to do about generosity. And there's a story about Jesus from the New Testament book of Luke, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have. Now, in chapter 21, in verse 1, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, this is a fascinating story. What, is it, what do you think it teaches us about generosity? Sure. Our giving is always according to our ability. Mm -hmm. God looks not so much at what we give. He looks at what we don't give and what that says about our hearts. Mm. So in this scene, Jesus has a teachable moment with the disciples. He rallies them together to watch, and he tells them, see those people giving out of their abundance? See that woman putting in all she has? And he celebrates because giving, in Jesus' eyes, is proportionate. It's according to our ability. If you've got two cents, for her to put in two cents, that causes Jesus to celebrate. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about the amount of money that That's you right. give. That's right. So you can still give lots of money and not be generous? Exactly. Do you think the rich people thought they were being generous? I am convinced they thought they were being generous because oftentimes we, we define our, our terms and our language not by what God thinks, but what by the culture thinks. And so when people see us plop, because I'm sure it was an electronic transaction or a check, it would have been a bag of, of gold. When people pop in a lot of money, I'm convinced they would have thought, oh, these people around are seeing me do this. They think I'm generous. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, without being too critical then, there's, there's often the philanthropy in the business world, et cetera, is seen as a positive thing. People giving vast amounts of money to charities, etc. Now, we certainly want to applaud that, but is there a sense, though, that calling that generous is a little bit perhaps misleading? I think you nailed it. 
it is perhaps misleading because I can give, if I have the ability to give, for example, $1,000 and I see a need and my heart is moved and I give 20 bucks to it, I can't say that I've really been generous because my ability or capacity to give is much greater than what I demonstrated. Mm -hmm. So then how does the story here of the woman uh, who gives her two cents, yep. perhaps, as, as opposed to the others around her who are giving lots and lots, how does that inspire you? What it inspires me to do is to assess my ability and then to put that ability to work because God's the one who supplies the resources for me to give. So if he's supplied me as a manager or steward of his resources and I only distribute a little bit, I'm pretty much being an unfaithful steward. I'm not following the master's wishes. But if I put that to work, and this is what I found to be true in my own life, mm -hmm. when I put to work what I have in keeping with the master's wishes, what I found is I don't end up empty. I end up enriched. I don't end up destitute. I end up learning my role is to distribute. Right. Well, so a number of years ago, you were inspired uh, by these words of Jesus to do something kind of a bit radically different. <laughs> so what did you do? Sure. So let me set the scene. I was working on the study notes for the NIV Stewardship Study Bible. So I was one of the biblical so scholars. NIV is like a, it's a type of Bible. Yeah, that would be a, it would be a translation of the Bible. So I was I was the one doing study notes for for an edition, a, a study edition of a study Bible, and I'm going through all these passages where riches are in view, and I'm realizing my life is not in alignment with these passages, and I say to my wife. Honey, I, I, it's really hard for me to do this project with integrity and, and not have my life be in alignment. So let mm. me tell you what so we did. So you felt uncomfortable at that moment? Incredibly uncomfortable. And even, even though you've seen generosity in the past? And even though I'd studied it. <laughs> I, and so I'm sitting here saying to myself, my life's not in alignment, so I can't do this project unless I get it into alignment first because so, I'd lack integrity. So did you feel a bit more like those rich people putting the money in the temple? Precisely. I was the, the rich people putting the money in the, in, the, in the pot. And I realized I wanted to be that widow. Let me tell you what we did. So I said to my wife, I said, when Jesus says not to store up treasures on earth, but to store them up in heaven, he says, this is the way to take hold of life. And I was missing it. I was it was as if those texts didn't apply to me. So I went to my wife and I said, I don't think Jesus is trying to rob us. I think he's trying to help us take hold of, of, of life, take hold of our role in God's economy. Because in the economy of this world, the one thing that solves every problem is money. In the economy of God, the one thing that solves every problem is God. And we, all we need is God. So the reason that, that Jesus would would tell a rich person to go sell, give, and come follow Jesus is because he wants him to hold on to that which gives life. Mm. So I said, so, honey... So he's, he's doing it because it's for the good. For our good. and it's, for, it's not because he's trying to be miserly or cheap. Exactly. So I said... Uh, what do we have, honey? And we, she's the president of domestic affairs, we like to say. <laughs> yeah, right. And and we had, she at that time, in long-term savings, we were storing up treasures on earth. About We had about $130,000 that really wasn't being put to work for God. And then we had about another 40000 in cash and, and other assets. And I said, I think I want to, to store these up in heaven. And she said, who lives this way? And I said, I think um, if we unclog our conduit, we're going to see a lot more flow through. And what we did, we paid $42,000 in, in taxes from this one, from liquidating one set of the accounts, and we stored it all up in heaven. And so what do you mean by that? What did you do? We gave generously to our local church, to a number of charities in our region, and then to ministries that were impacting uh, and, and 
showing God's love and caring for hurting people around the world, uh, a portfolio of charities. At the end of that process, we thought, oh no, we're going to do this and we're going to like end up empty, which is why I think people ignore Jesus because they think I'll, I'll end up with nothing. So you had $170,000 of assets. Yep. And when you did this sort of disbursement process, how much did you have left? So we had, um, at the end of 2010, we had in our uh, account $350. Now, to, to, to give so you, you an idea... To give you an idea, we like to live on a mina, which is three months' income. Everything over that, we like to store up in heaven. And so we had $350 over that, over that amount so of our cash So you got rid of, of 100 and, effectively $170,000. Yeah. Actually, we didn't get rid of it. We put it in a place where nothing can touch it. And so in doing that, what took place after that was we actually so how had— did you, How did you feel at that moment? You've got um, 300, now you've, you had all this money. Now you've got $350. Honestly, we felt like the widow because— it's until Christ is all you have, you don't really realize he's all you've ever needed all along because our faith was tested right after that, literally. So what happened after that? Yeah. Because well, you gave that $350 away, though, didn't you? We did. So it was one of those husband-wife conversations where you said, what do you want to do with this 350 And my wife kind of and I both started speaking at the same time, and she won. Perhaps you, you have conversations like that. <laughs> and in that moment, I... I thought of a missionary who needed maybe $100, and her missionary got $250, but I digress. Anyway, <laughs> um, we started the year like the widow. And actually, this has become for my children a tradition. Every year, by the end of the year, we say, let's start the year like the widow and see the adventure God will put us on. Some years, since 2010, it's been a great adventure where God supplied more than enough, and we've been able to bountifully uh, share and cause the flourishing of many, many things around us. Um, contributing to everything from single moms who need our help to um, building up organizations. But one year um, in January, uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. This was less than two weeks after you gave away that $250. This is, so, so you had no money. So it's January of 2011. We have no money. And we have, uh, in America, the way medical system works is you have uh, insurance plans. So we had a $10,000 high deductible insurance plan. And so by January 25th, we have $10,000 in medical bills, and we'd stored up those resources in heaven. And what's so cool is after Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up treasures on earth, store them up in heaven. In Matthew 7, he says, if you're in deep trouble, you're screwed. No, he says, if you're in deep trouble, he says, if you need something, ask the Father. So, so, so just, to cl just to clarify, so you've had $10,000 of medical expenses after you've given everything away. Yep. Over and uh, above just normal living yeah, needs. Yeah, so you've, so you've now got this $10,000 bill. How, how did you feel at that moment? So living my faith largely through my mind and then my heart, I said, I know that what God's Word teaches is that if I need something, I can ask the Father. So I've obediently stored it where it belongs, and I can ask the Father. So we had the shortest, most simple little prayer meeting with our 12- and 13-year-old kid in our, in our living room. We put on the table a little Waterford Celtic cross that we got on a family trip to Ireland, and we laid out all the medical bills. And we said, God, we don't have the money to pay these medical bills. We don't store up treasures on earth because you say to store them up uh, in heaven, and so we've got them there. Will you help us with these bills? What happened in the next six weeks shaped the faith of my children more than any Bible lesson they'd heard Dad teach. God moved six people we never asked who wrote, wrote us letters that said, we heard, we prayed, Here's a check. Hope it helps. 
Like they heard Jenny had breast cancer. They heard we were in difficult situation. They listened to the voice of God. They got to be what we've often gotten to be, a conduit of blessing to us at that key moment in our lives. It hasn't happened before or after. And this isn't any kind of a prosperity gospel. This was very real suffering where we went to our God and said, we need your help. And until he's all you have, you don't realize experientially he's all you've ever needed all along. And we came to grips with the fact that God knew our situation, and he saw what we were doing. He saw our giving. He heard our prayers. And I, I love how the story continues, because six gifts came then, and then we paid the medical bills. Jenny went through brutal treatments. Weren't you, weren't you a bit short, though? You had, there was a, you, you were sitting at $8,500 at one point, and then something happened. You had a letter in the mail or something. Yeah, yeah. So we needed $1,500 more to pay the medical bills. And we get the mail one day, and it's one of those obscure envelopes, hand-scribbled, like, wow. Sammy, who was, is our 13-year-old with a dry sense of humor, he goes, wouldn't it be amazing if there was like $1,500 in here? He quickly wants to be the one to rip open the envelope. And, and it had a check from a friend that we probably would have least expected would have sent us a gift, and it was exactly $1,500. And at that moment, our daughter, who's 12, and she has waist-length platinum blonde hair, skips around the house and proclaims, God is real, God is real, we can trust him, God is real. God is real, God is real, we can trust him, God is real. You see, she didn't even know if mom was going to make it through breast cancer surgery and the treatments and everything. And what we saw for a moment, he'd seen our giving, he'd heard our prayers, and he ministered to our need in a very real, just in time, just what we needed, daily bread kind of way. Now, fast forward, the treatments almost took Jenny's life. And that was a very hard year. She basically spent 2011 in bed. And in August of 2011, the medical oncologist had said, you know, you need to go to a, uh, a homeopathic doctor because these treatments are shutting down your system. You know, you're going to die. She was about 90 pounds and, and really frail. And so she goes to a homeopathic doctor, which, of course, is not covered under our medical insurance. And so that day we have another bill for $235. And this was the seventh surprise. That day, Sammy and I walk the dog. We get the mail on the way back. We're going back to the house. And we, I open up an envelope. It's a window envelope. It's pay to the order of and then your name and address. I open it up. I had written an article for a denominational magazine like three months prior. And I get a check in the mail for $235. And Sammy says, again, I told you, my, at the time he was 13, a bit of a dry sense here. He goes, he goes, there he goes again. God is our provider. But then he reminded us, he said, it's way better to give than receive. It's, it's, been, it's way better to be on the side where you have more than enough and you get to bless than when you're on your knees going, God, what are we going to do? And so ever since, what it's done in my kids is it's caused them to be incredibly generous because they've seen our lives. And if you're listening out there and you have children, your kids will do what you do, not what you say. So if you want them to be just like the world, be just like the world in how you handle money. But if you want them to be generous at all times and all occasions and be a blessing to others and experience the life that's truly life as according to God's design, then make, take, make the most of every opportunity to be generous. Well, thank you very much for sharing that uh, story there, Gary. I mean, you're still here sort of 10 years after that journey, so to speak. How do you reflect on those 10 years? You know, it's interesting that being generous really is, is not so much something you do. It's something that you are, something you, you become in Christ. I like to remind people, if you're kind this morning to the barista that made you coffee, like, do you run out of kindness so you can't be kind to someone at lunch? 
Like I tell people, if you if you are loving to someone and maybe open the door for them, do you run out of love? And then I, I use those pictures to try to help people see that God's economy is abundant. And he's looking for people who want to enjoy and share his material and spiritual blessings. So therefore, your life of radical generosity, has it led you to become impoverished? So that's the perception. So people think if I obey Jesus, I'll end up empty. And I like to tell them what you'll realize is you'll end up enriched. You'll end up positioned for greater generosity. So for us, we... We believe that God looks down and he sees, because he watches and sees everything we're doing. Like all our accounts are open to his view. And so he sees us as, wow, these guys live on a a mina, which is a biblical term for a three-month float. So we're stewards who put that float to work. And what happens is we build wealth. We build resources. And so sometimes we deploy them in, in, in things that are like an extravagant gift for my wife. Sometimes we deploy them to extravagant giving to needs. Maybe not a Greek island, though, perhaps. I wish it could be a Greek <laughs> island. You've planted a seed in this I discussion so. <laughs> that I'm going to sow in my wife's heart, and she's going to go, probably not, honey. Probably, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So are you being generous, therefore, to earn favor with God? <laughs> no. He actually, I'm his workmanship that, that's been saved by grace through faith, and he recreated me to do good works, to show his glory, to be a conduit of his blessing. We've got a couple of questions have come in from our text line, from our live audience here. Um, so it's a long question. I won't read the whole thing, but it says, would you say that generosity is a key to finding true happiness and really finding God and peace? You know, I would. A colleague in the States, Christian Smith at Notre Dame, he actually did this research study, The Paradox of Generosity. And in his research study, The Paradox of Generosity, he actually discovered that if you're generous, you will have better health, better family relationships. It will coincide with happiness, the avoidance of depression, a sense of purpose in life, and a sense of personal growth. A couple of final questions before we wrap up. Now, we're in the offices of Prime Value an investment manager. So is it wrong to invest money or to, or you're just saying give it all away? Sure. Well, remember, I've used the expression often, put it to work in keeping with the master's wishes. So every time we have more than enough, we ask the father because it's his money. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So everything we have in steward is God's. But the key is we don't let it stay with us. It's intended to flow to us and through us to contribute to the flourishing and the good of all or the good of specific people we serve or even the blessing of our own families. So at what point then is generosity irresponsible? The question is who's defining that which is responsible? Because I believe if we look at living, giving, serving, and loving richly from God's perspective, it's the only way to live and the only responsible way to live. So Gary, why be generous? I'm going to end with a reading a, a scripture verse. This verse comes out of Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Well, let me leave you with some more of the Bible's answer to the big question, why be generous, from Luke 21, 3 to 4. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I look forward to you joining us next time. For bigger questions, please thank our guest today, the generosity monk, Dr. Gary Hogue.
Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.